Welcome to Top of Mind, the show where we talk to real estate industry insiders and experts about the biggest trends impacting the market today. Enjoy the show. Mike Simonson here. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast. This is where I talk to the smartest leaders, thinkers, and doers in the real estate industry. For a few years now, we've been sharing the latest market data every week in the Altos Research weekly video series. With the Top of Mind podcast, we're looking to add context to the discussion about what's happening in the market from, from the leaders of people who are, are creating other views than what we have inside Altos. Each week, of course, Altos Research tracks every home for sale in the country, all the pricing, all the supply and demand, all the changes in that data, and we make that available to you before you see it in the, the traditional channels. And people desperately need to know what's happening in the housing market right now. The market was frozen so solid last fall, and now suddenly the landscape is changing again. Everyone is worried about what might happen in 2023, so, you know, if you need to communicate about what's happening in this market to your clients, your buyers and sellers, go to altosresearch.com, book a free consult with our team, and, and we'll dive into your local market, and we'll talk about how to use market data in your business. But speaking of data and informing the participants, the buyers and sellers in the housing market, I have a terrific guest today, Dr. Orfe Devungi. Orfe is a senior economist with Zillow, with, the, with Zillow's economic research team. And, and you may have read his columns in the Wall Street Journal, CNN Business, The Hill, National Review, USA Today, Chicago Tribune, and, and Crane's Business, or seen him on, on TV, speaking guests on CBS, ABC, Fox, and other national news channels. Orfe is, is really one of the top experts on what's happening in the housing economy right now. His perspective from Zillow is really going to be fascinating to see what we can learn today. And so I am super excited to talk with him today. So Orfe, welcome. Thanks for having me, Mike. So it's really great. And you and I have uh, interact on Twitter and LinkedIn, and I started to really get a sense of your perspective on, on the market. But but before we dive into like right into the data, give me a little bit of background on you, how you got here, how you how you developed your expertise. Yeah, that's that's right. With a name like Orfe Dibungi, that's the first question I always get. Like, where are you from? I was actually born in a small country in Africa, and I was really curious about economic development. Right. So like, why is it that some countries are blessed with vast amount of human and physical capital and grow really fast and others don't. Right. And so uh, I spent a little bit of time at the financing for development office at the United Nations and then decided to embark on a journey to do a PhD in economics. And that journey led me to the University of Southampton, which is about 90, 90 minutes south of London. And there I met some really interesting people, researchers, and my interest really shifted to focusing more on the causes and consequences of trading delays in markets, right? So the housing market is a perfect example of this, right? So if you consider credit and housing markets, the, the fact that they're linked, most people must get a mortgage before they can buy a home. That process takes some time. But then you get on the housing market and then you have to look for the right home for buyers, for sellers, and mates, getting the right to offer. And you have multiple people, people, multiple offers to consider. 
And so that process takes time. And so how difficult it is to secure a home loan will have an impact on the number of home shoppers in the housing market and, and how long it's going to take to sell your home. Another good example of the impact of trading delays is you know, if, you could, if you think a little bit about the people who have to finance these mortgages, there is a cost of holding funds, liquid. And so if it takes longer for buyers to find a home, like we saw during the pandemic, there were bidding wars, it was really difficult for a buyer to get in a home, then the net present value of lending to potential home buyers goes down. And so as a result, these lenders must be compensated with higher mortgage rates, of course, right? So when the activity is so is so robust, everybody wants a loan, you expect mortgage rates also to, to increase. So, so that's kind of my background and, and how I got into this. So I studied housing markets, I started labor, studied labor markets and also credit markets and kind of the interaction between between these markets and how traded, trading delays or frictions in these markets might actually affect uh, bargaining power and price formation in those markets. That's a really interesting perspective. The the trade or trading delay is equals inefficiency. And therefore yeah, cost it, and yeah, you could get it, it's probably because you have maybe congested markets, right? So if, imagine all queues, right? So people you, you saw during the pandemic bidding wars, you had open houses with 40, 50 people waiting outside, right? So you you have these congested markets. And so, you know, it, as a buyer, the likelihood that you get the home goes down when there's a lot of offers, right? And so that will also inform like, you know, you go in the market, and you're like, okay, maybe I'm not going to be able to get this house over here because there's so many offers. I love Zillow's website because even for renters, you can see how many applications have been submitted for a rental, for example, right? And so that will inform your strategy. Okay, should I apply for multiple homes at the same time? Where do I have a better chance, right? And so... Uh, so these, yeah, these congestions in the market will, will definitely impact your strategy. So, okay. So that's really fascinating. And and does the, the trading delays, does that, that interest in the trading delays, does that tie back to the, some of the developing economy work that you were doing early? Like, is there, is there a, a relationship there? <laughs> it's a good, that's a good question. I moved away from it altogether. <laughs> I moved away altogether. I moved away from it altogether. I just got really fascinated with, with, with the dynamics of these markets and these frictions in the markets. I did an interesting paper back in grad school that looked at how these frictions might actually influence migration decisions. People will move from one place to another depending on housing market and labor markets, right? And so, yeah. and these, and of course, these frictions in the market will determine where to search and where to go. Where do I have a better chance of landing that job I'm, I'm after, right? And so, yeah, so, so they, you could think of potentially going back, using that knowledge to go back and study why people migrate legally or what could end up, when you look at international migration, why do people migrate legally? Why do some workers end up working illegally in some countries? What are the long-term effects? So yeah, we could, we could apply it in various ways and it's just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, the, the, the labor lag time in real estate is a fascinating one. One of the, one of the comments or one of the complaints that, that, the, that the, the Twitter sphere has about, about the real estate market is there are one and a half million 
realtors and there's only, and there's only a few, whatever, there's 500,000 homes on right. the market, you know, like, and, and so right. there's a lag between the, the, the hot real estate markets and the, the number of realtors participating in it. That's let me right. run, let me run Mike's hypothesis by you and see if you buy this. So I have a hypothesis on the real estate and the realtor industry, which is we, we always have the perfect number of realtors be, with maybe a little lag because it's it is a it's actually really efficient to get in and out of the real estate industry where the the conventional wisdom in the industry is that there's too many but i feel like oh we we always have the right amount maybe with a little bit of lag what do you think about what do you think about mike's hypothesis <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean i i don't think anybody goes into the market if they don't think they're going to be able to to sell homes right if they're not if there's no expected profit from going in and becoming a realtor, we shouldn't see a lot of realtors going in I, into the industry because they they see potential. So yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you in the sense that uh, I don't think there are too many realtors. I think that realtors are, are well-informed and they are going into the profession. People go into the profession because they believe that, that there is opportunity in that in the industry. So yeah, I think my, I would, we just have too few homes <laughs> yeah. in the market right now, right? Whether you look at existing homeowners not selling their homes currently or, or choosing to sit out the market or the fact that builders just haven't built enough for the needs that are out there. Yeah, okay. So that is an excellent segue. So let's start talking about the market. So so you've been at Zillow for about a year or so? That's, that's, that's right, about seven, eight months. Yeah. So what are you finding at Zillow? What kind of information are, are you... In fact, before we dive into that, let's talk about first about your perspective on the market for 2023. What what's I've noticed that you're you're sort of fairly optimistic in a sea that can be pretty pessimistic about home prices and economy. Give me your overall view right now. It's it's near the end of January, so yeah, that, that, that's right. I think I think we saw that kind of deep freeze in 2022, and I, I'm 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 optimistic because when you look at December, this December data that came in, home sales fell by less than expected. You're seeing that mortgage rates fell for four consecutive months, right? Trending down, and 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 buyers are out there. They're they're waiting and, and ready to pounce. In the first couple of weeks of January, what we saw was an uptick in mortgage applications. And, and so this notion that buyers are sitting it out and they're not going to come back, I, I don't subscribe to that too much. I think affordability being the main challenge in the market in 2022 means that as affordability improves even just a little bit, we should see buyers come back to, to the bargaining table. The marginal buyer and the affordability is, is, is pretty impactful. That's right. So, so do you have a view on coming recession? <laughs> like yeah, I, I think certainty. I, I think, yeah, it's very difficult, right? You see, you look at all the pundits out there, right? So last week, two weeks ago, everybody was screaming, "Hey, recession, recession, recession!" This week, people are saying, "Hey, maybe, maybe we could avoid a recession." Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think we should just bring it back down to like the basic blocks of of every economy, right? And to, to me, the basic blocks, the way I think about it, is look. It's households, right? And so you have to think about consumption makes up roughly 70% of GDP. And, and so what's going on with households, right? Inflation's still too high. We're at roughly 6.4%, still outpacing wage growth, which means basically people are being squeezed. The Fed's raising interest, is still raising interest rates. And so, of course, that's going to squeeze households. 
the savings rates has dipped from roughly 7% to less than 3% in 2022. And so people are, have, are using up all of their savings uh, and are not saving as much as they used to. Credit card debt rose by roughly 15% in 2022. And so, yeah, it, it, it paints a kind of a, a, a dim picture for the household. Will households be able to kind of sustain all of the headwinds and continue to push the U.S. economy ahead? Uh, that's a big question. Then, then you have to look at business investment, right? So roughly 12 to 15% of GDP. Falling residential investment, right? So less new construction. Housing starts, we saw decline tremendously in 2022. That historically precedes a recession. And so you look at, you look at the history, you look at housing starts falling, and that's a predictor that a recession is coming. And yet, construction employment is still very high. So housing starts may have fallen, but there's a record number of new homes under construction. And that's keeping the industry going. We also see interest rate sensitive industries cutting back a lot. So we saw the tech sector rate business also cut back in terms of employment. And so that kind of gives you a picture of where businesses are at. We know that if demand weakens further, they're going to pull back. They're already somewhat pulling back on hiring, but then they're not laying off. Layoffs haven't ticked up that much yet. All right. So so that gives you a, a picture for businesses. And then you have to worry about government, right? A, another major block. Government, fiscal policy, there's always some uncertainty there. But a divided government tends to do less. So that could potentially be a good thing. Fewer potential new shocks to worry about. However, we also have the debt ceiling risk, which I wrote about last week. Any delay in addressing this issue could actually raise borrowing costs and push the economy into contraction territory. So that kind of gives you a kind of picture, a complete picture of how I think about these things when I hear predictions out there. That's uh, that's actually exactly what I was looking for, your framework for how, how, how to, to analyze what may be coming. The, the, it, and the thing that it triggered in my mind was about the trading delay, the delay between these economy, that the economy impacts. And there are some, there's some obviously weakening factors that you were talking about in there and in the delay between that and jobs and the right. delay between jobs or or the 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 headwinds on the household and and the I got to sell my house I can't make my mortgage payment right and and so that trading delay and some of the factors I've seen is like if you think about if you think about I lose my job I'm out of my job for for 90 days now I'm worried about making my mortgage payment then I stop making my mortgage payment now I was 90 more days before I start getting in a distressed scenario with the bank that's six months at a right. minimum delay right. before we start seeing housing inventory in there so and by that by the way by that time by that time, the U.S. economy could have rebounded. You could have gained a new job, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so then, do you? So that, given those things, is when we look at 2023 and and and, and into 2024, you, what, what's your overall? What's your take? Yeah, I, I, th I think there are significant headwinds. 
but but I, I think I, I you know I'm on camp. We could avoid this. We can avoid this recession. This this recession everybody's okay. talking about. Yeah. And so what what does that actually mean for the for the housing market? It means that the buyers waiting in the wings will still be there, and we should be ready for that upswing, right? For that rebound. Now the other issue though is that potentially interest rates may not fall that much more than they have already, right? And so so that's a that's a bit of a concern, right? So a lot. You, we thought with inflation coming down and kind of the U.S. economy slowing, right, and the risk of recession increasing, mortgage rates would continue to drop. But but if we avoid that recession, right, and if maybe if the market's overpricing the risk of recession, then mortgage rates might actually just continue to stay where they're at and they might not fall further. Now, the good news is that a lot of research just shows that there's still about 12 million Americans that could afford the mortgage, the mortgage payment, the typical mortgage payment in their local market, even at 7% mortgage rates. And so, and so I think that people will move. They move for different reasons, not just because of the mortgage rate. I think the mortgage rate happens to be kind of in the budget constraint, right? It's the constraint on your decisions. And so people, I think people will get back to normal, will get back to moving and if they can afford to do so. Uh, and so I'm fairly optimistic that even if mortgage rates hover around 6% and stay kind of where they're at, we're going to see people come back into the market and the market will start to 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 head back in a, in a positive direction. Now, of course, I think the constraint for housing is still going to be on the inventory side. And I, I follow your work as well, and I look at our data, and an inventory is just not increasing at the pace that a lot of people thought it was going to be increasing at with a market slowdown. Yeah, it's certainly been lower than I've expected it to be. Right. Uh, so, okay, that's terrific. And, it, and it's an excellent segue to, to the next parts that I'm interested in. So you've been with Zillow seven, eight months. You just published the December... Zillow housing market report. Any any surprise findings in that one? Yeah, again, I, I was I'm fairly optimistic on the team, right? So I don't think I was too surprised to see that basically. I think home buying activity picked up a little bit in December. We expected it to to fall much more than it did. We, you saw existing home sales falling by less than expected. I think there are buyers, there are shoppers out there that wanted to take advantage of these falling mortgage rates. And I think we're going to continue to see that into, heading into January and, and even going into the spring home buying season. Of course, that depends on the, what, whether or not there are new shocks along the way. But if, if mortgage rates continue to hover around where they're at, 6.1% or so, I think a lot of buyers will start to head back into the market. The challenge, again, is new listings are down, continue to be much lower than they were a year ago. And so there's not a ton of new existing homes coming on the market. And so I think that's going to remain a challenge. Of course, in the most expensive areas, you had a surge in inventory when compared to last year. But I mean, overall, you look at the U.S. housing market, inventory is well below where it was before the pandemic. So the path to normal is really, really slow, but buyers are ready to go. And that I think that was, to me, that's the most surprising thing, the, the idea that while everybody was screaming, yeah, prices are going to fall a lot, sellers are going to cut. We're not in that situation where sellers are desperate to sell. I, I, I lean on an interesting fact that I saw on, on realtors that realtors shared midway through 2022. Today, 1% of realtors are working with a distressed seller compared to 49% before the global financial crisis, right? So like sellers are not desperate to sell. 
And so we need, if we're going to get that inventory, that, that uptick in housing market activity, we're going to need those homes that are under construction to come back on the market. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, there's so much, so much, so many threads in there that I want to pull on, but the, the one, one question that, that pops up. So is, are you finding, um, insight in the Zillow, the massive Zillow sphere that you weren't able to get in, in previous work or academia? Like, are there some fun things in there that you're finding? Oh, absolutely. Zillow having access to every house on an, on or off the market, the characteristics, features, our Zestimate, the potential features that home buyers are actually looking for, right? I think that's phenomenal. Having access to that information at a very granular level down to the zip code. At Zillow, we use this term, turn on the lights. Our, our, our goal is to turn on the lights. It's to turn on the lights for home buyers, for sellers, for realtors. It's to make the home buying and selling process as painless as possible. And of course, that means supporting realtors. It means helping buyers understand mortgage financing and just kind of putting all these pieces together. And so I, I, I find that very, very interesting. Some of our social impact work as well, helping at-risk renters and helping people that are kind of on the fringe that may not be able to access home ownership and helping them get prepared. So I think that is that is fascinating work. And of course, coming from a, uh, a, a poorer country and and having seen kind of people struggle, I think I think working for a company that's focused on helping people access home ownership is exciting to me. I bet I, I bet it is that that does sound really terrific. Do you were there are there specifics any any specifics and things like features that now you've only been looking at that data for 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 less than a year, but are there are there trends in features that we can see, like home features that you can see in in any of that? Anything so like, interesting? Yeah, I mean, like the, the the in some places the need for air air conditioning, for example, is is quite interesting. But but yeah, in this current environment, I think I think what is what is jumping out is the fact that people are settling for less, like in terms of sizes, right? Number number of bedrooms and and square footage. People are selling for less, uh, at least during the pandemic. When prices rose so much, the cost of space really increased. And so and so you saw people settle for less, even, even at the higher end with the, the million dollar listings where you know people were actually just shrinking their 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 footprint really. And so I thought that was really interesting. Another thing that I find interesting is the fact that people are moving to Florida. And that house prices have been sliding since midway this year. And Florida markets are super hot, are still so hot. I mean, they're cooling, but they're still too hot. I mean, like percent year over year price growth in, in places like Tampa and Jacksonville, right? I, I find that really, really interesting, given, of course, the fact that Florida is, is, is you have all these hurricanes and flooding. The, the idea that potential home buyers are still going into these areas and, and that those markets are super attractive. To a lot of people, it's it's kind of surprising to me. That's interesting. So yeah, the 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 natural disaster risk seems underpriced to me in Florida, and certainly like insurance wise, like it it seems like that that there is there is still some shakeout to happen in a in a climate changing world. But but the hot Florida markets kind of that's let's talk about that for a second. So so. You know, we could see we can see it in the Altos data. The the Western hot markets, the the Phoenix, Austin, Boise, Salt Lake, Denver, those guys all backed way off 
this right. year. And notably, the Florida markets backed less off. That's right. Do you then is that part of your your the the Zillow hottest markets predictions for 2023? I think there's yeah. you guys just had something come out there. No, as our, our hottest markets are mostly in the Midwest. We we really believe that affordability will really be the driving factor going into 2023. Yeah. And that people are people are going to go to places that are relatively more affordable. Yeah. And so and so I think that's probably where we're where where we're thinking. But I think that at least it's not something I've tested yet. But I think that potentially the the, the Florida phenomenon is is due to to a, a lack of inventory. You have all these people that are moving there, that, that moved there in 2022. I think Florida was the driving most of the domestic migration, was at the top of the list. And, and, and then you have this climate risk, which actually destroys housing inventory. And so you end up with a situation where supply shocks could actually push prices up. If you go back to this interesting research that was done on what happened after Hurricane Katrina, and, and something similar happened. People expected house, housing values to decline post-Hurricane Katrina, and instead, the, the market there gained. Home prices actually increased post-Hurricane Katrina much faster than the rest of the country. And so supply shocks, right? So we, we know house prices, determinants of house prices are on the demand side. You have income, population, employment, mortgage rates. But on the, right, the supply side, you also have geographical constraints, right? That are kind of natural constraints. And then you have man-made constraints, of course, with policies, right? zoning laws, et cetera. And so these natural constraints, and, and of course, you have this climate change element. And so I think that markets that are going to be subjected to massive shocks are probably going to see upward pressure on prices, at least in the near term. That's an interesting take, like, like climate risk could potentially drive prices higher, home prices higher. Yeah, that's right. Wow. That's okay. And I can, I mean, I can see that in California, the the fire markets, the 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 Napa's and thing like destroying a a lot of homes or Boulder, the fire a a winter ago in the middle of December took out a thousand homes in Boulder, Colorado, and and like that's a significant change and doesn't really impact the number of people who want to live there. That's right, and and until people start to kind of take this into account, right, and start to price that risk. Yeah. Then, then home values are there's going to be upward pressure on home values in those markets. And of course, humans can't really price properly risk things like like climate risk, amorphous long long tail kind of risks. We we can't right. we we can't put a dollar on it at all. That's really fascinating. Yeah. The the I got to make some notes here. I love that that thought. So the so let's go back to affordability. And your and the and the hot markets take. So, one thing I've noticed in the Altos data this spring is, spring winter is that that we obviously have seen in we saw inventory climb in the the western markets the the Austin's and Phoenix back to 2019 pre pandemic levels. But but much of the Midwest and Northeast is still at at sort of crisis lows. And so we have low inventory there, but we also didn't have the big run-up in prices right. during the pandemic. Right. So how should we think about affordability and the Midwestern markets? Yeah, so you, you're going to have people who want to own a home. 
and who may not have to stay in the most expensive cities to work, right? We saw work from home is here to stay. I think most of the data indicates that people are still moving and staying away from the office. And so, you know, if you combine those factors, you probably have people moving to more relatively more affordable markets. And, and so if you have very low inventory in some of those markets, that will actually sustain house prices if you take the, the country across the country. And so, and so you have, you're going to have some markets that are seeing prices decline a lot, home values fall, like we, Boise and some of these very expensive Austin, right? Very expensive markets. But then you're going to have upward pressure on prices in places that are that are still relatively affordable. And that's why can you take that all together. And at Zillow, we really don't think, we think home prices, home values might actually kind of stay flat. Our forecast is like, okay, maybe we'll stay flat or we'll see a small decline, not the kind of decline nationwide that we saw during the Great Recession, for example. Right, for sure, for sure. The, and so does Zillow have a view on, on home prices or do you or Zillow have a view on on like a forecast for the year for home prices across the country? Yeah, that, that's it. We, we think it's going to be, we're going to be relatively flat or start to see a small decline. I, I can't think of the number off the top of my head, but the, the decline, I personally thought that even when the argument started, the, the discussion started about whether prices were going to fall by 20%, 25%. My, my thought exercise was, you know, what part of the prices today are supported by fundamentals, right? And, and how much of the of how high are prices relative to what we think fundamentals support, right? And so my, my personal take is I think prices might have gone up by 10, 5 to 10%, maybe, right? And so over what fundamentals would support. And so I don't, and I, I, it's hard for me to reconcile predictions of 20%, 25% price decline. It's, it, and I mentioned this to you in our, in our social media conversations. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, and I appreciate that. And it's, it's 25% across the board is pretty, pretty significant. You have to have a pretty bearish view on a bunch of factors to get there. But I, you did actually introduce one thing that, that I, that I want to ask about. So you, you mentioned the debt ceiling as a as a shock that could get thrown into this system pretty soon like yeah. next few months so you wrote about this recently tell me about like should i be worried about the debt ceiling <laughs> yeah. so yeah I, I i don't think i don't think the us will ever default really at least not this year anyway but but just the tension the the delay in addressing this issue we we saw that back in 2011 with president obama back then and you know, Republican Congress. And this delay actually had a had an effect on borrowing costs across the US. And, and, and we start to see the economy kind of slow down as a result. And so, so I think this is something that this is one of those man-made things we could be avoiding, right? We could actually address this issue right away, make sure there, there's no uncertainty. There's already enough uncertainty right now for, for investors adding on to to investors' fears right now is not a good idea because higher borrowing costs could actually have pushed the U.S. economy into, into contraction territory. I think there's an interesting study that was done by Moody's maybe last year that showed that basically something like that could actually push the unemployment rate. And, and, and really, you know, if, you, if people have been talking about a recession, I think this is the thing that could actually push us into recession territory.
That's fascinating. All right, I'm going to start paying more attention to it. It was vaguely in my mind with a bunch of political stuff that I try to keep the volume down low enough Same here, man. to keep Same my here. stress levels down, right? But but it's something that it is a factor that we should pay attention to because one of the things in, in my work is that that we, we're trying to measure what's going on right now. And people tend to, especially on Twitter, they like to read that and say, but there's all these other things in the future that could happen. And therefore, I have this opinion on the world. And and my view is like, yeah. yes, when that happens, we'll measure that and we'll, we'll report on that too. But there are, I'm I'm often taken by surprise by events that that I didn't I didn't plan for. I didn't expect expected mortgage rates to go up in 2022, but seven and a half, I did not expect. That's right. <laughs> so, so, and so like. Do you have, and this may be beyond the scope of what you wrote about, but do you have any magnitude on borrowing costs that you would expect? Like if we get, if it starts to get really down to the wire? Yeah, no, I, I don't have a magnitude. I, I didn't, I, did, I just looked at what happened in 2011 and, 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 re, and really like we saw what happened to the housing market when the mortgage rates shot up above 7%, right? And so we should really be worried about that as, as a potential threat to, 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 to the housing market in 2023. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of why I started thinking about it a little bit more because the market seems to be headed, it's headed into that spring season and things seem to be moving, at least from a buyer's perspective. Of course, we still need those units to come on the market in most markets, in most U.S. markets. But that could throw a, a, an extra, a, another issue to deal with, right, for, for buyers and pull, pull them back. And so and so that's something that, but also, right, so higher borrowing costs mean cost of businesses. So far, we're seeing layoffs remaining fairly low, but, you know, higher costs for businesses could mean, right, we're already seeing less hiring, but then also potential layoffs, and then we, we see the unemployment rate shoot up, which could really change the picture in the housing market, right? Because so right now we have homeowners on very good financial footing with good credit, better credit than we had the last time that we saw housing market softness and the labor market's holding. If you throw a wrench into that mix and all of a sudden you start to see a job losses and higher rate, higher mortgage rates, then there's no telling what would happen in terms of, you know, homeowners actually having to list their homes because of an income shock, which it, it is completely avoidable right now. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really fascinating. Are there other things in the media, the headlines or the zeitgeist that you think are wrong now? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, by the way, I pay a lot of attention. I, I probably shouldn't, but I do anyway. I pay a lot of attention to some of these podcasts out there, the, the pundits on YouTube, and and and, and it, it's crazy what you see out there, right? So you have people who are. There's this guy. I, I won't name his name, but he goes around these construction sites and he says, "Hey, look, no one's living here. People are running out. They're not. They're not." They're, they're getting rid of their homes. They get right, and it's a little bit like what you saw before the global financial crisis, where there was a serious problem. Right, people were leaving their homes because they couldn't afford the mortgage payments anymore. Today, we know that's not true. There are a few distressed sellers out there. There's a high share of low fixed rate outstanding mortgages. Homeowners are on better financial footing and with better credit. The labor market's holding up well. Two weeks ago, we talked. We were talking about a recession. Now we're talking about avoiding a recession because of how resilient households and, and U.S. consumers are. 
And so the idea that, you know, the today's price correction is, is could be caused by people not being able to afford their mortgage payments is just completely crazy. The reality is affordability challenges, because a lot of people are buying homes, are the reason why buyers have not pulled back, right? A lot of people are buying homes. Prices rose a lot. More prices of everything increased, which is why we reached inflation that had not been seen in 40 years. And so the Fed had to bring this back a little bit by raising rates. So affordability is the challenge. It's not the price correction that we're seeing in some markets is not due to people abandoning their homes because they can't afford the mortgage payments. So I think this is the thing that I, I see a lot out there that I, I try to correct the narrative on, right? What's causing the pullback is the affordability challenges. It's not homeowners not being able to afford their mortgage payments. We, the data is very clear. New listings are down. Existing home, homeowners are not listing their homes. They're pulling back. They're pulling back because they're locked into these low 2.75%, my neighbor's mortgage rate, right? Low mortgage payment. He's not going to trade it for the 6.1% 6 mortgage rate today, you know? Yeah. Well, and of course, correcting the narrative, that's a that's a quite a quixotic task to... to <laughs> To, to to do can, correcting those because man those those YouTube channels get orders of magnitude more attention than that's right. than those of us who are just like we're just trying to look at the actual data. That's right. So that's, that's quite a task. But but so they do some of those guys. Some of those guys are nuts. But some of those guys have there's some real there's some there's some real fears in there. There's some real fears. Oh. The the Fed was buying the mortgage-backed securities and keeping mortgage rates low for a long time. That is a last-decade phenomenon. It didn't happen before that, and now it's going away now. Do some of those things, some of the some of the underlying grand fears of a big regime shift in the Fed, for example, do, do, do those have any merit? Like, should we be worried about it for not just maybe 2023 but like the next decade yeah i think i think people need to keep in mind the fact that the fed has a dual mandate and that the fed will never let the u.s economy crash because of its dual mandate right so the dual mandate is right price stability but also keeping the unemployment rate in check and so, so it's a very difficult task, but the Fed will not do things in a way that causes, you know, crash or dysfunction in in in, in financial markets. So you you have you have sort of confidence that that the unwinding happens that we will not it'll not be disruptive unwinding quantitative tightening. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, that's good. I, I, I like to hear some some reassurance in there because there's a, like a part of me that that fears like all of our assumptions about home prices and affordability and mortgage rates have been built on a set of assumptions that are no longer true. Yeah, it, it, investors are showing you exactly what happens when when the market expects a recession, right? So. A recession actually means mortgage rates could fall even more, and so and so I, I so I'm not one of the, I'm not afraid of, of the small of a small correction because I know that a small correction could result in affordability improve even even more, and and people you know, and of course we know that because there's still a lot of job openings out there that and layoffs are lower than they were even before the pandemic that they'll still be it might actually. 
housing market activity. Going back to some of what we started with in terms of trading delays, the idea that there were, there were lots of people in the market and that demographic factors might be playing a role into why we saw the surge in demand during the pandemic. And of course, that a lot of people wanted to buy a home and just couldn't do that anymore. It means that there's a lot of people that, are, that will be ready or wanting to take advantage of falling mortgage rates to come back in the market because they need more space, because they're working from home, because they have they started a family and they were bid out by by you know in the in the market during the pandemic. Yeah. Yes, for sure. That kind of transitions us into the one thing I'd like to ask all my guests is is the the longer term future. The term longer term future for housing, thinking about demographics and our construction and all of the factors. What do you see in, in for the few years, decade? Are there are there big ideas that that we should be paying attention to? Big trends? Yeah, going into the future, I, I I worry about builders pulling back so much, right? Housing starts, housing starts fell a lot in 2022. And so builders are pulling back in an environment where uh, I think we still need housing, especially if you have some cities where the housing unit deficit is vast. And so I think that could be a challenge for the housing market going forward. We, we look at inventory right now and we, we both, we look at the data and say, inventory is so low. Even if you bring on all these new constructions that, that, are, that are being built right now, these new homes that are being built right now, that might not be enough. Uh, and so I think, I think we still somewhat underbuilt. And, and then I also worry about the types of units like th that we're building, like at what price point? Right, a lot of families in the United States that are doubling up. They're living with other families, either in rented housing or in owner-occupied housing. A lot of these families have, on average, lower income than the median family in the United States, and so these people will need affordable housing, not just any house, right? Any old house, they'll need affordable housing, and so proving productivity in the construction sector maybe deregulating somewhat in order to bring builder costs lower is going to help us put more affordable units on the market for those families. Yeah, it has been, it has become significantly more difficult over the last decade to, to build entry-level housing profitably. Right. Yeah, we have, we're in a world right now where we've had big inflation on building costs. We've had labor cost inflation. We've had restricted uh, immigration. So our our labor pool for home construction is low. Is there any sign? Are there any, I, I don't know if you've paid attention, like have you seen any signs of regulation changing to help us maybe build better some of those things? <laughs> Look, I'm 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 optimistic on the not so much on the regulate on the regulatory side. So many of us are working on this, even at Zillow as well, our, our government relations team, just to try to talk to lawmakers about the the problems, the challenges that we're facing on the regulatory front. But I'm excited about the technology, like prefab modular homes, prefab homes, 3D home printing, container homes barn dominiums. I'm really excited about like the, the, the shifts that we're seeing and where this could go, right? It, it's, the technology might actually get us there faster than, than the regulators. Oh, well, isn't, isn't that sort of excellent tech company, Silicon Valley, Seattle attitude, the technology, techno optimists, right? We get to, 
We get to tech, technology gets to save our world. And it's actually an interesting thing to tie it all the way back to our initial com part of the conversation in the trading delay, the, the technology shrinking the, tr the trading delay in housing. Do you, do you, the technology is solving some of the, 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 the affordability problems, but also maybe some of the trading delay problems. Have you, have you seen things in there that, that catch your attention? Yeah. Look, I, I think it, it's a wonderful thing, right? Like you ask people where they find their jobs, they find their jobs on LinkedIn, right? Do you remember the days when you actually had to like take your CV and walk door to door and ask people like, hey, I'm available, Can, you know, all right, you, you had to go through the yellow pages and, 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 and kind of go from business to business to look for a job. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that we have hundreds of millions of visitors that go on the website and they look at housing, whether it's a for sale inventory or rental inventory, and, and, and they're able to see quickly. Hey, here's what I can afford. We have an affordability calculator. Here's what I can afford. Oh, we can put you in touch with a realtor, right? An agent to help you out, to sort through your options, right? Being able to do this so quickly. Of course, the mortgage space is very complex. I, I, for anybody who's ever bought a house, even for me, it's really, really hard. Like, right, like, okay, well, now we have the uh, two to one rate buy down. Like, what does that mean? What does that do to my closing costs? Who's paying this stuff? I, I looked at recently at the National Survey of Mortgage Originations, and you look at the number, the percentage of people who actually know about their, how much money they'll need as a down payment and, or even closing costs. Most people are unsure about what their mortgage payment, down payment should be, or what their closing costs are going to be. And so, so they, they come to the table completely unsure, unprepared for that journey, right? It's, it's a complex journey. And, and I'm excited to see that Zillow is really focused on trying to smooth out this process and remove the complexity from the home buying process. I love it. That's an excellent place to, to put a bow on it for our conversation. Orf has really been a terrific discussion. I really appreciate your 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 depth with the numbers and your take on the year and and the broader economy like it's really really informative for me so I, I appreciate it very much oh uh, thanks thanks for having me anytime Mike and and so where do people find you Twitter LinkedIn how, what's how should they Twitter, find LinkedIn you? but yeah check out our our website Zillow Research right you Google Zillow, Zillow Research you can find all of our work our commentary uh, yeah. And, and, and of course I, I always encourage people to follow me on LinkedIn, go and ask me any question, right. And we can, we can chat through it to, to look at the data and kind of make sense of it. That's great. And I can find your debt ceiling article on Zillow research. That's right. That's right. So every, every week we put out a commentary on rates, where mortgages are and, and where, and where we think they're headed and, uh, and what's driving mortgage rates. And so, yeah. so I wrote a piece, I think last week on what's, what was happening in the market at that time and, and what we expect will be coming up with this debt ceiling. Terrific. I, I'm going to go, I'll go read that for sure. And yeah, definitely follow Orfe on, on Twitter and LinkedIn and and the the like it's a it's a, a great conversation one of the, one of my favorites to to interact with so appreciate that everybody this is the top of mind podcast you can like it and and give us a a a uh, a thumbs up on the ratings because if, if you're enjoying it but if you're enjoying it as much as I do but I, I'm, I'm I'm really having a good time so so. 
That's it for today, everybody. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to Top of Mind. See you again next time and be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes.